Hello, everyone. Dr. Chris Martinson here. I want to talk to you about the end of the dollar. Uh-oh. A lot of other people are talking about it, so hey, I might as well come in with what I know about this. Little known fact, when I first started giving talks about the state of the world back in 2006 and seven, those lecture series were entitled The End of Money. And I foresaw this era that we're going to be in. I didn't think it would get this crazy, but the crazier it gets and the more we extend and pretend and create a new more of these overhangs and imbalances, the worse the outcome is going to be. This could really get violent. Now, we've just had some explosive new things come about. I want to make sure you are eyes wide open, focused on these particular developments. So let's go there real quick. And I have a whole new system here. Just learn it. I think that went pretty smooth. All right. Um, let's talk about the end of the dollar and it begins here. Uh, Fareed Zakaria also said this on CNN, the dollar is our superpower and Russia and China are threatening it. So a whole article and he talks about how Russia and China are threatening the United States. No, they're not. They're just busy doing what they need to do in their own economic best interests. And the United States is busy trying to command them to be different than they are. And it's kind of a weird thing because it's not working. So at any rate, he is, he does, Fareed has his finger on one pulse, which is that the dollar, as goes the dollar, so goes the fortunes of the United States. Literally, figuratively, our power, our prestige, our ability to command respect are intimately tied to our currency. So it's kind of a threat, but not for the way that he articulated it at all. Uh, as well, we have CNBC on here talking about global dominance of the dollar cost to the U.S. economy. So they're starting to explore this idea of what happens if the dollar's dominance starts to fade, wane, change, shift? We have that. And then finally, not finally, there's a lot of articles so far. Here on Fox News, we see here, this is a, a pretty startling sort of a, um, well, th this was, yeah, um, Let's see. Let's just listen. In. Vladimir Putin announced this week that Russia will begin using the Chinese yuan uh, to, for international payments instead of the dollar. Saudi Arabia is also in talks with Beijing to do the same thing. Speaking of Saudi Arabia, meanwhile, they are in talks uh, with Iran as well to consider an economic alliance mm -hmm. with China in Russia. And they can even be joining the BRIC countries, which is an acronym for these countries here, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. These countries all have emerging economies. So what happens if our economy and the U.S. dollar are no longer the world's dominant currency? Former Assistant Treasury Secretary and host of the Monica Crowley podcast, Monica Crowley, is here to weigh in. Monica, great to see you this morning. Uh, let's start right there. What happens if these emerging economies move away from the U.S. dollar towards the Chinese yuan? Well, good morning, Will. It's great to be with you. And it's really hard to overstate exactly how catastrophic the abandonment of the U.S. dollar would be. Um, as the world's uh, global reserve currency. Look, since the end of World War II, the dollar has been the safe place to go, and it's been backed up by a couple of things. It originally was backed up by gold, but President Nixon took, took us off the gold standard, so there's no hard asset backing up the dollar anymore for the last 50 years. Sure. But also it's been backed up by the strength and economic power of the United States and the fact that oil has always been traded in dollars. Oh, if there that it is. were to end... There there that would mean the end of the U.S. dollar. Look, th there's... Okay. 
the end of the U.S. dollar. So she just mentioned something very important. Monica Crowley here talking about the petrodollar. Uh, we got to talk about that real quick. I've talked about it many times. It's a really big deal. You are living through the tail end of one regime of, of international settlement, trade, power, geopolitics, all of that, and we're coming into a second regime. We are in between those two stories. It gets really awkward, very turbulent, and if you want to have the best chance at creating a safe, secure, financially prosperous future for your family, you, you got to understand this larger context. This is a really big deal. Now, let me see if I can explain this. We're putting an announce. Oh, not with that. So this is where I got, uh, like, this whole thing just went, <laughs> dialed up five notches for me because of this, right? This just happened March 29th. It was reported that China, quote, completed its first trade of liquefied natural gas LNG, settled in its currency, the yuan, on the Shanghai Petroleum and Natural Gas Exchange, right? The Chinese state oil and gas giant, CNOC, and Total Energies, Completed the first LNG trade on the exchange with settlement in the Chinese currency. This wasn't China doing a little something with, I don't know, Somalia. This is France. Total is a French company. So China just settled a petro, a, well, to call it LNG is in the, in the fossil fuel range, right? So it's, it wasn't petroleum per se. It wasn't oil, but it's right in the, in the district. So they just settled a major energy contract. In its own currency, the yuan. All right, this is a really big deal. So let's talk about um, what that means. And by the way, why would China be incentivized to begin doing this, not use the dollar? For, for decades, people have used the dollar to both buy and settle their oil-based trades and to store those resulting dollars in something safe called the U.S. dollar. Now, why would China want to get away from that? Okay, maybe because, you know, this is their rising to power and it's a matter of national pride. Could be. Or maybe it has something to do with this, which was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my whole adult life on a diplomatic scale was it just four days after um, or three days after the Russia invasion of Ukraine, the United States froze Russian central bank assets. So the Russian central bank had what are called sovereign reserves, and they're held in various positions around the country, the United States world, I mean, the United States froze those froze their sovereign reserves, proving that they were neither sovereign nor reserves. When a central bank is even itself not safe from the United States just deciding that they are going to freeze those assets, then this is one of the things that's astonishing to me about people in the Biden administration and other, let's just call them swamp rats, the D.C. swamp rats. They seem to not understand cause and effect. They don't seem to understand humans really well. Hey, if we beat up on this country and we treat them poorly, why don't they do what we want them to do? Oh, I don't know. Because you treated them badly? They don't get it. So they thought they could just come in and freeze Russia's assets because we all agree Russia's just a terrible country. Now, the we in this story excluded countries that didn't really have that strong of an opinion. That would include India, China, a lot of Africa, a lot of Asia. In fact, the we in this story that decided it was important to sanction Russia was really... The U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Europe. <clears throat> At any rate, all those dummies got together and said, yeah, good idea. Let's sanction Russian banks and we'll freeze the central bank's assets. Right? <laughs> 
All right, this comes on the heels of Canada being the test bed, deciding to freeze the bank accounts of their own citizens because they dared to support the trucker movement. A really stupid idea. So you can feel this creeping idea coming up, which is your private bank accounts, your sovereign reserves, none of them are safe from an ideologically driven political class that decides they want to punish you, they will freeze your assets. Ownership doesn't matter. Laws don't matter. None of that matters. They're going to freeze your assets. So that was the action. And of course, that led to the consequences. So as recently, you know, just a couple months after that or a month after that in March, they were starting to question a little bit, at least in some places, saying Washington's trigger-happy sanctions may push countries away from the dollar, says Think Tank. You think so? Yeah, it could happen. And for obvious reasons, this is not rocket science. This is really easy to understand. If you create an incentive for people to do something, they're going to do it. The incentive in this case, or disincentive, is to hold your money within the context of the dollar. Because if you do, somebody may just decide, at a political whim, to flick a switch and take it from you. No court proceedings. No legal precedent. None of that's relevant to people who are ideologically driven because you must do what we say, right? So power and might. And, of course, the dollar will never be dethroned. They have to. We can just turn off Russia's assets and it'll just screw them because what can they do? Well, what they can do is move away from the so-called petrodollar. And that's happening and it's happening fast and hard right now, almost at a speed that's difficult to comprehend. So please take some time to understand this process a little bit. So what is a petrodollar? This is the process that um, was put in place by Henry Kissinger, 1973. Genius move. August 15th, 1971, abandonment of the gold standard. Temporary closing of the gold window by the United States, which is still in play, um, like all temporary government programs. That took the dollar off of the gold standard, and all of a sudden, so from August 15, 1971 through to 1973, it was a little iffy. Inflation was skyrocketing. Nobody wanted these dollars. Things are all over the place. What do you back the dollar with if you don't have the gold? Evil genius of Kissinger is, he said, what if, what if we make people buy oil in dollars all around the world, and then they'll have to have dollars? It'll create huge demand for dollars. So it works like this. An oil exporting nation, getting my drawn tool out here. Um, oh, that did not work. Let's get my highlighter. That'll work. So you got your oil exporting nation here, right? And they uh, then deliver oil here to an oil importing nation. And then in reverse, the oil importing nation pays for that in dollars to the oil exporting nation. That is the petrodollar. All Oil trades are settled in dollars all around the world. It's an exorbitant privilege. As Francois Mitterrand of France back in the day said, it's an exorbitant privilege for the United States to have this. Because let's break this down. Let's imagine you're an oil importing nation. You have to have dollars. How do you have dollars? You have to run a positive trade balance with the United States or somebody else who's running a positive trade balance with the United States. That's the only way you end up with surplus or excess dollars in your system. So if you are Chile and you want to buy oil from the United Arab Emirates, you got to run a positive trade balance with the United States. You're going to sell them grapes and wine and all kinds of stuff because you want oil for your country that you're going to have to pay in dollars. So that is extraordinary. It created for people here in the United States, for all my United States listeners, this created extraordinary demand for dollars, which made us feel like we hit a triple, right? 
what an extraordinary country. Look at all these benefits. We don't have to work that hard compared to people in other nations. We have these high standards of living. Man, we must be that good. Mm-mm. You didn't hit a triple. You were born on third base, and you can thank Henry Kissinger for that, right? So this regime is coming to an end, and this thing right here, this petrodollar, has been in place since 1973 till last Tuesday, <laughs> right? Which is when China said, oh, let's settle this in yuan. Now, every country that's tried to, and let me just, as a quick editorial aside, every country in the past that has tried to get off of the dollar, in particular tried to break the petrodollar cycle, has gotten into a lot of trouble with the United States and or NATO. Um, Saddam Hussein tried it. Did not work out all that well for him. United States was looking for a reason to get in there. had nothing to do with weapons of mass destruction. We all knew that was a junk story at the time. Uh, that was a cover story. The real story was that he was talking with Iran about setting up an oil bourse, not denominated strictly in dollars, but it could be a basket of currencies. Out you got to go. Uh, then we saw that Muammar Gaddafi in 2010 and early 2011 started talking about a gold-backed dinar using his oil wealth to break the franc dominance that was happening in Algeria and other. He wanted North Africa to have a gold-backed stable currency, and it was going to basically ruin the harvesting operation for these other fiat currencies from the Western countries that were in there. So he had to go. China's going to be another story. China's much harder to get out of this particular thing. And China has just broke this shot across the bow. This is a big deal. This is absolutely a big deal. How big of a deal is it? Well, if we look at this, we could ask one question, which is how many of these petrodollars get recycled back into the United States? This is the genius of Henry Kissinger. We're just sitting here in the United States. Yeah, we're just sitting here. And, you know, our stock market likes to be well capitalized. And we like it when people buy our bonds and our treasuries because those are dead instruments. So we can just borrow more and people buy them. So you're Chile. You send some money to the United Arab Emirates for some of their oil. United Arab Emirates might go, what do I do with these dollars? Uh, they don't need to buy any oil. What do they do with them? They recycle them back into the United States, and they buy U.S. security holdings. Here they buy stocks. They buy bonds. We can see that on this chart. They'll also be buying real estate. What a sweet deal for the United States. We sit here. We churn out dollars <clears throat> or debt equivalent uh, instruments, and the rest of the world has to <coughs> excuse me, trade with the United States to get dollars to buy oil, and then those dollars come back home again. What did we do? Nothing. We printed dollars. We didn't even print them. We clickety-clacked them up on a keyboard and created ones and zeros that looked like dollars on digital bank spreadsheets and other things like that. But at any rate, we see here the UAE, Saudi, Arabia, Russia, Qatar, all of these places have, have poured their money back into United States security holdings. And this is from about $120 billion in 2003 to about $600 billion in 2008. It has only continued to go up. Since then, this is the exorbitant privilege. This is the petrodollar recycling loop. This creates a very high standard of living in the country that administers this program. It's an awesome deal. It's a lot of fun. What happens if it comes to an end? Well, to get a, a sense of that, you see here, um, back in 2000, that other chart went from 2000 to 2008. We see here back in 2000, that there was about $250 billion of annual net oil exporting revenue here in the OPEC or the oil exporting countries, right? And of that, they recycled about half of that in 2008 
back in, 120 billion we saw on that chart. And by 2008, five, six, seven, eight, they were recycling where they had 600 billion back in. Um, that their revenue through this period of time was uh, about 600 billion that one year. So a lot of these dollars are still sitting offshore. A lot of them got recycled back into U.S. asset markets. And here we see that the actual range in the last few years has been somewhere between 750 billion and a trillion. It's a big pile of money. It's just gigantic. So looking at it cumulatively over time, we see here treasuries in green. We see here the uh, agency mortgage-backed securities in gray. And here we see the total reserves in dollars. These would be the same kinds of reserves, which didn't turn out to be reserves, that Russia just had that got frozen. But these countries out there uh, all over the world are holding around $7 trillion U.S. dollars of reserves. What happens, we should ask, if those countries holding those reserves suddenly decide they don't want to hold U.S. dollars in reserve? They'd rather hold a BRIC currency. What will happen if the BRIC countries say, hey, we've come up with a new currency and standard and it's gold-backed? Or it has some other way you can trust it that is um, putting – we all currencies need to have faith, right? So quick aside, all, cur- all money is a faith-based operation. Debt-based money is fundamentally – Faith-based money. You have to have faith that the people administering the program aren't complete knuckleheads. You have to have faith that they aren't going to change the rules on you suddenly. You have to have faith in all kinds of things. Having One does not simply destroy trust in a fiat-based money system without severe consequences. That's what the United States did when it froze Russia's foreign reserves. It broke something. And we are watching the scrambling happening, and it's happening very, very fast in real time. China brokering a deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran? Diplomatic relationships between those two in Syria? Are you crazy? This is amazing geopolitical realignments. We're seeing the power structure change. And now they are openly talking within the BRICS sphere about getting away from the dollar. They don't want to dethrone it. They just don't want anything to do with it. They'd rather have a system administered by people who are going to play by rules, who are agreement capable, because Putin calls the United States and most of the West non-agreement capable. They've lost trust. They've lost faith. It's going to be very hard to get that back. They are busy setting up their own parallel structure to trade within and among themselves under the belief that they're going to treat each other better and get a better deal and they won't be abused and threatened and otherwise made to feel inferior and exposed to the risks that were clearly laid bare when the United States froze Russia's sovereign reserves. As a quick aside on that, just yesterday I found out that the United States is now proposing to take those $300 billion of seized foreign reserves of Russia's and invest them and give the proceeds of that investment to Ukraine. Okay, so you can clearly see the incentives and the motivations to get away from that system and get into your own system. Only makes sense. Okay, so if we look at this, what happens when $7 trillion decides it wants to come home all at once and... Um, we look here at uh, the U.S. dollar share of global reserve currencies. So the seven trillion, as much as they are, is still it's a declining amount of global reserves. People are deciding, other countries are deciding to hold other things: euros, yen, gold, you name it. Right? They are tiptoeing away from the dollar. This is an actual pretty big erosion of power and prestige right here that we're seeing. It's a big deal. I predict that this is going to begin to accelerate in earnest. And we need to be prepared for that. So we've got to talk about what that means. Now, 
in the Asia Times just recently, this is on March 25th here of this year, 2023, they said that the U.S. bank trouble with the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, all that, U.S. bank trouble heralds the end of the dollar reserve system. What? How does that herald the end of the dollar reserve system? Well, let's see what they said. They say here that uh, the New York, they said uh, the U.S. banking system is broken. This is in the Asia Times. That doesn't pretend more high-profile failures like Credit Suisse. The central banks will keep more abundant institutions on life support. Bailouts, bailouts, bail-ins, whatever they have to do. But the era of dollar-based reserves and floating exchange rates that began on August 15, 1971, with the closing of the gold window, um, is coming to an end. The pain will be transferred from the banks to the real economy, which will starve for credit. And the geopolitical consequences will be enormous. The seize-up of dollar credit will accelerate the shift to a multipolar reserve system with an advantage to China's RMB or yuan as a competitor to the dollar. It's a big deal. So this is how they're discussing it in Asia. They're talking about this. Of course, we've all been talking about this for a while. We saw, you know, the idea was floated a while ago that there maybe, maybe China-Saudi ties would, you know, maybe that we would see a settlement in, uh, for oil in Yuan, maybe. So this was back in December of 2022 here. Um, we saw as well um, all sorts of warning signs, but then the shot across the bow, which I just mentioned, which is this idea that China just settled a trade in Yuan for liquefied natural gas with France. Exclamation point. This is a big deal. Okay. And um, so what can you do about that? Look, at peak prosperity, got a great tribe of people. We talk about these things all the time. There's lots of things you can do. I can't do anything and you can't do anything about the Federal Reserve's Stupid desire to intervene in markets, to prop things up, to lie about things, to fail to understand the importance of incentives and moderating and directing human behaviors and other outcomes. We can't do anything about the knuckleheads in Washington, D.C. of both parties, the permanent entrenched swamp class that's just busy, like just being neocons and beating up on other countries and pretending we can bully everybody into submission when the rest of the world has clearly moved on from that story. The only people who haven't figured that out yet are the permanently entrenched so-called elites in the power structures of the West who are busy navel-gazing, talking to each other, and hanging out in their echo chambers pretending as if they know what's going on. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is moving on. And so when this happens, not if, but when, I can't do anything about that, you can't do anything about that, but here's the story. Here's the punchline. As the currency begins to devolve from a reserve currency and sinks into the into the ooze of time, never to be seen again. I don't know when that is. There's winners and losers in that story. So who relatively wins? Who relatively loses in that story? The losers are the people who hang on to that sinking ship as it goes down beneath the waves. The winners are the people who see it coming, they move on, and they get their hard-earned wealth out into real things. Skills, hard assets, land, gold, silver, productive assets, oil, gas, you name it. Anything that is uh, nailable, downable, something real, tangible things, those are the things that you want to be invested in. So come by Peak Prosperity if you want to talk with other people who can see the world this way. Add one plus one, get to two every time, and um, have a realistic conversation about these things because you need to be ready for this. You should be getting ready for this, no question about it. And there's all kinds of preparations that extend beyond material 
financial. There's also emotional, social, lots of things we can and should be doing because these are big changes. These are really big. Um, no question. So with that, hey, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, didn't have to be this way. All right, everybody. Bye-bye.